Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I have to tell you, this, uh, I feel lucky right now. It's quarantine. Uh, I'm with spending it with someone I really care about, and uh, we've been together for, since uh, October. Uh, however, I am aware that there's so many uh, listeners and, and people out there who are quarantined, uh, and they're alone, uh, they feel isolated, or they could be with someone and uh, feel like a burden, um, and with everything that's happening in the news, and uh, it's changing every day, every hour, uh, every week, um, there, there's people who are losing hope, and I've been there. I've I felt lonely. I felt like a burden. I have to be honest. There there are moments now, even in in my relationship, uh, where I do feel like a burden, and I've, I've learned how to manage. I've learned how to work through that. Uh, it's not easy to to have those conversations, to be that to be that vulnerable, to to share what you're what we're really feeling. To, to ask the, the deeper questions, it's so easy for us to, to say things are fine or great, but to, to ask uh, the real questions to get to the root of our, our fears and our anxieties. I bring this up because this is what I coach my clients through. I, I, if you go to thrivewithleo.com, I can coach you through better communication. I can coach you through uh, not feeling like a burden, to, to feel like a blessing instead of a burden, uh, to have hope instead of feeling hopeless, to, to feeling connected instead of isolated. Go to thrivewithleo.com and I only have a few slots left. But this is something that I'm connected to, and this is the moment. This is the opportunity for us to to work on ourselves, to to come down from the mountains, to 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 emerge from the caves, uh, stronger, better, sharper, more connected, uh, calmer, and and with some tools and strategies that will help us uh, not only during this quarantine but after so thank you once again for tuning in i have some amazing amazing episodes coming up for you uh with uh, psychologists and book authors and and comedians and and a lot of people who have uh been through the mental and emotional struggle uh struggle with suicidality and and also those who help uh, people uh, and help us get through that. Uh, so stay tuned. A lot of these will be skyped. A lot of the uh, so I apologize in advance for the the uh, audio quality, um, but but stick through the episodes and uh, and we're all gonna grow and get through this together. So head to thrivewithleo.com for your one on one coaching session with yours truly and with that said let's get into the episode are you in, the, in there that might be better 
are you in um uh are you in where are you at england where are you uh no so i am actually in texas at the minute oh um, i live between texas and paris france whoa uh wait what part yeah. of texas are you in uh houston all right. So you're all right. That's good. Uh, now, are you stuck in Texas or? Um, technically stuck, but I was coming anyway. Um, so basically, my, my fiance got a promotion over here yeah. um, and my business is in France. So I go you know, backwards and forwards. So I was planning to come over anyway. Um, but technically, once my 90 days run out, um, yeah, I don't know what happens because I can't get out of here. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. How are you keeping yourself busy? I mean, is it easy or are you going crazy? Um, yeah. I mean, last night was pretty tough. Um, definitely had a bit of a meltdown. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep myself busy and work on as many things as I can, even though, you know, the economy isn't so great at the minute. And my main, you know, my main work is um, to do with producing fashion collections, especially for startups. So, I don't really know who is producing fashion collections in this economy. So, it yeah, we're taking a bit of a hit, but we'll get through it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so when last night, let's go back to last night, when you said bit of a meltdown, what does that look like? Yeah. I've had meltdowns, uh, <laughs> but it usually just in, involves like uh, crying in a shower or uh, <laughs> doing, yeah. doing ginger shots. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Like I don't have major, yeah. I don't have major meltdowns, but I, I definitely cry. Yeah. Crying is my thing, but I know people who throw stuff and what, what was your meltdown looking like? Yeah, mine is mostly crying also. Um, obviously like here in Houston, we have, um, much bigger space than we do in Paris. So, um, we have these big walk-in closets and that has become my designated meltdown area. So <laughs> I go into the closet and I turn all the lights off and I just have my little meltdown and uh and yeah and then i pull myself and i you know make a plan <laughs> don't you feel so much better after a meltdown oh so much better like there's so many times where i just feel like oh do you know what i just need a good cry and then i'll be all right you know yeah i, I call it a detox they'd be like what's going on i'm like i'm just detoxing right now you understand i'm just getting all the stuff out that uh that, that's been yeah holding exactly me back. it's it's very it's very healthy i i think more people should um should uh, uh, publicize their their meltdowns and their and their and their and their tear fests. Oh, definitely, I totally agree. Because we all think we're going through it by ourselves, you know, and um, we're just not. Everybody is having these meltdowns, you know. Um, and I think if we talked about it a bit more, it would it would definitely help. Well, you know, I was watching. Uh, so th- this is how much I love my girlfriend. She has not seen the first two seasons of Ozark, and. And, oh, and just, okay. I, I know you're already. Are you watching it? Have you seen it? <laughs> yes, I have just started, so I'm only maybe like three, four episodes in. So no spoilers. <laughs> All right, no spoilers. So my dilemma was: should I start from episode three and and uh, mm-hmm. just catch her up, or do I start from the beginning with her and watch it through? So I, I had to <gasps> post. It. I posted on Facebook. I, I put it to the people. I let the people decide. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> even though I don't even know why I trust the people anymore because the people have made some bad decisions in the past, but I put it to the people and the people said, I yeah. unequivocally, I have to watch it from the beginning with my girlfriend. And, uh, I had, and I, I had zero regrets. There's so much I've forgotten. 
in the first two uh, seasons. Yeah, because it moves so quick. It does. It's so it much does. happens in one episode. You're like, whoa. Yeah. And what about um, Tiger King? Have you got onto that yet? So that was the that was the previous dilemma of do we do we start watching Ozark or do we watch Tiger King? Because everybody seems mm. to love it. I watched the first oh, five minutes same. and I was like, I can't do this. It's it, it, <laughs> it was too into like. I'm like, uh, as soon as they pull out the pythons, and I was like, I can't. This is way. Yeah. My nerves are already frayed, given the situation. Just the first <laughs> five minutes of Tiger King. Yeah, absolutely. Just t- put, took yeah. me from a 10 to a 1,000. I was like, I can't. <laughs> Shutting it down. I, I'm not, I'm not ready emotionally for this. stable. I'm not, an, I'm not emotionally <laughs> stable enough for this. Like, in order for yeah, me to watch Tiger King, I would have to be in a padded room with like 20 friends and like middle yeah. of the day and then I have to like, I have to have like a farmer's market or something planned after but that's not something yeah. you watch so before good. bedtime like you're not going to bed after you watch tiger king you're not sleeping there's no way <laughs> no you're not it's and too if much. you are you're having nightmares you're having yeah. nightmares there's no way like i have to do that like pu- like pre-yoga class or something like there has to be a release <laughs> Before I watch Definitely. something like, yeah. or there's like a group therapy <laughs> session after. I would need a group therapy session right after yeah. some ketamine or something. Something would have to help me process. <laughs> it's so intense. Yeah, I can't even get over. We got to like the we got to like the third episode, and my my fiance was like, "Wait, hold on a minute." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. We haven't even got to the murder yet." And he's like, "Hold on, this is about a murder." And yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, we haven't even got there yet." <laughs> like, just keep watching. <laughs> How long have you been engaged? Uh, we got engaged uh, last March, actually. So a year. Yeah. Wow. So this is the other big, big battle in our lives at the minute because our wedding is supposed to be in July. So, yeah, that's a lot of fun and games, potentially having to postpone the wedding and and redo everything. And yeah, so that's very stressful. I so many. We had two weddings planned to go to before this all happened and mm-hmm. all canceled. It'll be interesting. You know what? I'd be more interested to see if the people who were about to get married still get married. Yeah, exactly. Like, like because this I is think really that's testing. nice actually. What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's nice. Like in a way, like, you know, it kind of shows you cause I mean, we all know it. We know that the marriage is the most important part, right? And that, you know, marrying your best friend is, is the the cherry on the top of the cake, if you want to say. Um, but, you know, especially for women, we're all like, oh, yeah, but we want the big party and we want, you know, the big celebrations. And there's an awful lot of work going into this. Like, particularly for me, like, I'm really type B, but I have been so type A about planning this wedding. Like, every single second is, a, is accounted for, you know, atmospheric-wise, what music is going to be playing at this particular moment. Um, so to know that all of that could just crumble down and yes, okay, we're still going to get this lovely marriage because that's the most important part. But at the same time, it's really devastating, <laughs> you know, but you're, you're, but you know, I do appreciate the fact that there are these couples out there that are like, you know what, it doesn't matter. We're going to get married and that is the most important part. And I think that's really lovely. And, and sometimes you just have to wrap your head around that fact, you know, that, yeah, this is this is why we were having this big party, and um, the end result was the same. You know, I still get to spend the rest of my life with my with my chosen person. Uh, to all the men out there listening, do not fall for this. Know that <laughs> it, 
if if you end <laughs> you up having to it. get married at a wedding chapel or have some online wedding that she will be expecting at some point. One of your anniversaries better be a big shindig. You understand what I'm saying? Do not fall. Women are not, they're not going to let you forget how minimal the we wedding will. was. We will. They will not let go. They, they, they have not watched enough Marie Kondo to, to nobody's letting this go. Oh, Trust me, fellas. You, you better be save the money. And and have something planned at some point, um, because yeah, everybody's trying to be all spiritual right now. Just you know, it's all about you two and the coming together, and it's about love. And no, 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 no. It's not. It's about the party. It's about the party. Because here's what's going to happen: you're gonna you're gonna think you're in the clear. You're gonna get married and have some small. You're gonna you know on, on a porch. You're gonna have it like on on your balcony or something because it's quarantined or, and. And 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 Skype in a, a priest to get you married, um, <laughs> but but <laughs> but what's going to happen once this quarantine lifts, and she's going to be watching some movie with a big wedding, and then and there's going to be a hint, you know, especially if she doesn't have kids. <laughs> if there are no kids, she's definitely going to be like, hey, we didn't even have kids, you know, we might as well. <laughs> listen, listen, do not spend that wedding money. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Keep it to one side. Especially, figure it out later. <laughs> I mean, especially, I mean, Kirsten, you're in the fashion industry. There's no way that you you're no, gonna I you're, know, you're gonna I know, like yeah. You you got your dresses planned see, out. Thought, yeah. See? Yeah. You see the thoughts of not wearing that dress. That is like keeping me up at night. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't even really talk about it because obviously it's a secret. But I love my dress so much. And uh, yeah, oh my goodness, I just cannot wait to wear it. So that will definitely be happening. Whether I am just like standing in front of Skype, I'll be wearing that dress. <laughs> um, now, this is such a challenge for so many people is quarantine because especially on a mental health level, like so many people like were going to see a therapist. And now if, you're, if your therapist isn't set up for skyping or zooming or online or whatever mental health Mm -hmm. protocol you had going like all that's been been challenged and and kirstie you are your one of your challenges is uh bipolar 2 disorder correct yeah that's correct can you can you talk to us uh, Um, about what that is versus bipolar one and then how you're managing that Yeah. So, um, it's basically a lot of people think that bipolar two is just like a lessened version of bipolar one. Um, which I mean, in some ways, I guess you can look at it like that, but for me, I like to look at it just as a different strain. Um, so similarly, you still get manic episodes and you still get depressive episodes. Um, but your depressive episodes, um, um, they're kind of a bit more, they can be a bit more dull, they can be more frequent, um, but kind of like, you know, like if you're on a roller coaster and you have this massive big dip, but then on the other hand, you could also have a roller coaster that just has a thousand little dips. So it's kind of more of like a, a nagging dullness to the depression. That's how I look at it anyway. You know, it's it's less about the massive big spikes and more and more about lots of little ones that are constant. And in some ways that can be just as painful. Um, and hard to hard to overcome because you don't get this 
we don't get any relief from it, you know. Same with the manic, um, the manic episodes, you know, for bipolar one, it can be a bit more um life destroying, I guess. You know, some people go on these massive big shopping sprees and, you know, put their house up for sale, sale and do really drastic crazy things things when they're in manic episodes with bipolar one. Um and for me, my manics are more I'm just really charged and I have so much energy and I actually really enjoy my manic episodes I love it I just channel it and I just work like crazy um the only problem is that you get this massive big downward spike afterwards um which can be really hard to to come back from especially when you're in this in this manic like episode and you just know that oh my gosh this is so great and I feel brilliant and I feel like invincible and euphoric and and you're getting all this work done and the work is great and and then all of a sudden you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, but here it comes. Like, I know it's coming any, any moment. now. I'm just going to get this massive big dip and it's all going to be over. How long do, do the manic episodes usually last? Because, I mean, it's so funny how, um, you know, it's like it's a struggle for a lot of people. But at the same time, we're almost trying to self-induce it with all the energy drinks and uh, people oh, drinking absolutely. cocaine. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, so for me, I'm so there's bipolar one, there's bipolar two, and then there's also another kind of category underneath that, um, which is debated between different um, psychologists and psychiatrists. Some believe in it and some don't, um, but it comes under ultra rapid cycling. So that's what I am. I'm ultra rapid cycling. So for me, I could have like five to six to six different episodes in one day. It's really quick. Um, Usually my depressive episodes are a bit longer. Um, I would get maybe a full day with a depressive episode. Um, but in saying that, just as easily, I could have maybe 15 minutes of mania and then be plunged back into the depression. Um, so for me, it's very, very quick. Whereas for other people, it could even be more seasonally. So they'll have high seasons and low seasons, um, just you know, according to, to our regular spring, summer, winter Um so yeah, for them, it can be months long. and But for me, it's really short. It's like flicking on a switch and flicking it back off again, which is very hard to hard to understand for me, which makes it very hard for, for people that I live with, for my partner. You know, it's just like, it's literally like a switch has been flicked and oh, right. Okay. Nope. She's, she's doing something else now. You know, are, are you able to communicate that um, with your partner? Like when you like, is there other code words that you have? Like. Hey, um, you know, I'm at a 10 right now. I'm at a one, um, you know, or, <laughs> um, we should probably actually try that. We've never tried that. Um, I actually personally find it very hard to, to even talk whenever I'm in an episode, um, especially a depressive episode. And, and, you know, he'll be sitting there trying to like talk to me and just be like, just, just talk me through it. Like, what are you feeling? What is happening? And, and I want to say all this stuff and it's literally like, it's like, bubbling up in my esophagus and, and pushing its way and forcing it through. But it's like my lips are sewn and I, there's no words coming. And I just, I physically cannot get the words out of my mouth. So well, I try to talk about it afterwards um, because yeah, it's just very hard for me to talk about it directly in that moment. Yeah. There's so many, you know, I was looking at, there's so many famous people who have, uh, who are, you know, are challenged with a uh, bipolar disorder from Demi Lovato to Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and you're right. It's like, I, I think uh, Mariah Carey Kanye West as well. He's been oh, very yeah. vocal about certain things. Um, Kanye yeah. West. Now when, how much of this, um, 
is diet, not diet related, but uh, how much of this can, are you, do you have to change your diet in any way to kind of help manage the emotions? Um, for me, not really. Um, I've been pretty good with like trying to figure out what my triggers are, but food doesn't seem to be one of them. Um, for me, it's more like, and this is actually, this is a big, um, part of, uh, let's say a bit of an argument in the house because music is a massive trigger for me and I have all but stopped listening to music entirely, which sounds kind of crazy, especially because it's just one of those things that people always say, oh yeah, what music are you into? You know, you just expect people to, to have an opinion and to listen to music. Whereas for me, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, I've just, I just don't listen to it. I just stopped because it's not worth it to me. Um, it can just, I can go really manic because of it, or I can go very depressive because of it. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that I've had to take on as just a personal responsibility, not just even for myself, but for the other people around me. It's just safer if I don't listen to music, which sounds, sounds crazy. It sounds insane, but it is what it is. And, um, yeah, that doesn't really go down very well because obviously my partner wants to listen to music sometimes as people do. And I have to just say, you know what, like, I'm just not stable enough to do this. I need to go into another room and do something else instead. You know what? Uh, same for me. I mean, I wasn't diagnosed with uh, bipolar, but I, I was like, you know, you know, depression, panic attacks, uh, borderline schizophrenia, somewhere in there. Um, wow. all, all the fun things. And yeah. And I, I, I realized that TV, I think that Tiger King was, I, I could feel it just, it just made me too anxious. Um, Ozark is kind of soothing in a way. I haven't figured out why, but only one episode. If I watch more than one episode, it's trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. But music definitely triggers me. And I, and I realize, though, the, the way that I can listen to music without it triggering me is I have to listen to music uh, one without words. Words is the it's okay. The, yeah, it's I can the see words that. Words and and the and the combine you know because because I'm such a they said like people who struggle with depression um, focus on the lyrics and people who struggle with mania focus on the music and um, mm-hmm. and so like the the words could trigger because you know they they paint pictures and it starts to trigger memories and and et cetera et cetera um, or sometimes the music gets me too excited it gets me too revved up and then it's hard for me to. Uh, calm myself mm-hmm. down. So music is definitely a trigger. But so, but the music I do listen to that uh, has been soothing for me. Um, I listen to like uh, some classical music, but like the 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 morning soothing classical music. I've like started creating playlists, and then uh, melancholy music kind of keeps me uh, calm. So like there's in Portugal. Uh, it's called Sedaude, and it's just it's a Spanish type of uh, melancholy music that it doesn't bring me too up or too down, and, and it just kind of keeps me calm. Uh, but not just because it's melancholy, but also because it's in a different language. So that's the other thing I've started realizing is that uh, I, if I listen to music in a different language. It because it's activating my prefrontal cortex because I don't know what they're saying. I'm I'm like, well, you know, what word is that? What are they saying? Um, it it keeps my amygdala kind of uh, stabilized. So 
I, I go with like either instrumentals or if I do listen to music, it's uh, like in a different language, uh, nine times out of ten. And then like that binaural music, like I can study the, that. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Actually, I should I should look that up a bit more. Um, because yeah, it's supposed to like help you focus and things, especially when you're working on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have. Excuse me, I just took a bite. <laughs> but they have. Bon appetit. They have binaural uh, sleep, and then they have study, and this is just very like, I I mean I can't describe. You just have to check it out. But it's very soothing. But the other music I listen to also mm-hmm. are, um, and I don't know if you call it music per se, but I'll play uh, sound bath music in the background. Okay. So, and you know, you, yeah. if you're on Spotify or YouTube channels, Pandora, they have uh, uh, sound bath sound beats that are just very soothing. It's like almost like spa music, and it, and it doesn't stimulate uh, too much uh, feeling. But sometimes silence is the best thing for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny for me. I can really, I can listen to new music. If I, if I've never heard it before, chances are it'll be fine. But if it's anything that I have heard before and can associate it in any way to nostalgia, good or bad, generally speaking, that's just a recipe for disaster for me. (laughs) I don't know what it is. It's just anything that reminds me of, of anything like of a time gone by or even, and even if it was a happy time, it is on this big wave of, of sadness for some for some reason so yeah for me music is definitely a a massive trigger and then like what would other like what's another trigger like what are two other triggers that you have um let's see um socializing with people that i don't really know um and that probably comes from from being quite a big introvert in general um but that's one way that i kind of I will use music and I will use um, certain triggers to to kind of induce a manic episode. Um, doesn't always work, but, you know, we try our best. Um, so just like you're saying, like some people would, you know, drink a few cups of coffee or some some energy drinks to, you know, gear themselves up for things. I'd be the same if I have to go and, and socialize with people that I don't really know very well and um, and not even that I don't know very well, but I, I really need to know them extremely well to not feel this way. You know, you know, um, if I've met them a handful of times, that's kind of not enough. I still need to gear myself up to, to, to be the, to be the best kind of version of me that I feel like I can be, you know? Um, so I will listen to music that gets me really riled up and, and all of a sudden it feels like it's inducing this, this manic episode and, and I feel great. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself to be a very person, but quite often I find myself in these manic episodes where I'm just like, joke, joke, joke. And everybody's laughing. And I'm kind of, I'm looking at it from, you know, like someone else's perspective and looking at myself, just being like, who is this girl? Like, <laughs> I don't even know who she is. Like, I'm not that quick. I'm not that funny. Um, so yeah, in that way, I kind of, I try to make the manic episodes work in my favor whenever it's possible to induce them, you know? That makes sense. You know, uh, Chris Farley, who, uh, comedian, he was on SNL and, and we lost him to, uh, a drug overdose, but you know, he had, uh, you know, manic episodes he was struggling with and, um, but 
he would say that he he always did the drugs because he felt like that he had to be that person on stage or anytime he performed. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to feel like that too. I used to because I'm I'm a huge introvert and always felt like I had to uh, rev myself up to be engaging and to to socialize. Yeah. And I what I've done uh, is I've learned to uh, ask better questions because what I what I really started to realize is that uh, people are boring. Like, uh, like just not like most people, most engagements are uh, they're just hey the weather, the sports, you know, you ask somebody where they've been. They talk about the food. The food is amazing. And and, and so I, I realized that I, it was really more me being understimulated in most of my uh, interactions with, with people. And so I, I, I started focusing on how to have more engaging interactions that didn't require me to be revved up. And uh mm-hmm. So I stopped, I cut out small talk when I, when I meet people, I realized like I had a lot of anxiety. Most of my anxiety was around small talk. I hate small talk and most introverts, I think, uh, hate small talk. So I would ask people big questions like, when was the last time you cried? Or, um, you know, would you, would you rather date somebody who was good or somebody who was great? Like ask people like really big questions, and I found that like that was as stimulating and exciting to me to hear their response and and feedback as um, dr- you know uh, uh, you know drinking a, a Red Bull or something like that to like you know hey how are you pooping are you pooping you know three times a day <laughs> two times a day once a day and you know and people will laugh but they'll but they'll also answer the question you know um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's I, I it's like uh, there are these hacks that, um, you know, I've, I've started practicing to because I was like, I can't get revved up every time I want to meet somebody. Like, it's just it's so exhausting to to feel like yeah, I'm putting on a that. performance. It's just exhausting. Yeah. And so I was like, if, is there a way I can be? I read a quote somewhere. It said. Uh, be interested and interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. it just made me realize I was always trying to be more interesting than interested. You know, like I, I didn't really ask the deep poignant questions and uh, it, it kind of keeps me at an even kill. I still have the occasional where I need like a Red Bull or something like that. But, uh, but I completely understand it. It's like you, especially in your business where, you, uh, you know, in the fashion industry and, and you have to be engaging and leave an impression and it's so competitive um, and, the, and the margin yeah, for absolutely. error and it's all about if they like you. It's more about if they like you than if they like your fashion, right? I would imagine. Yeah. Well, that's another part of it as well as being a freelancer. You know, everybody is their own brand these days. So you have to be in front of the camera and you have to talk about yourself and and I find that very hard to do. And that's that's one of the reasons I wrote my book was because um, I just I find it very hard to to come across the way I want to come across. Um, whereas I can do that really well in writing. Um, I can say what I mean and I can edit it and I can polish it up, you know, um, until it looks what I'm actually trying to talk about, you know. 
Um, but yeah, with being a freelancer, you know, you're constantly having to try and promote yourself and, and people want to see that. They don't just want to see your fashion designs and your work. They actually want to see who you are because they're investing in you as a person if they choose to work with you. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I have had to do very similar things and just, um, sort of cut down my schedule in terms of things like meeting new people or just social events in general. Um, as well as the fact that I, I live an expat life, you know, whether it's in Houston or whether it's in France. Um, so you're constantly being introduced to new people and, you know, sometimes you just want to say, Hey, you know what? I don't actually need to meet any new people. I don't even have time for the people that I do have in my life that I love, you know, I don't have enough time for them. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I cannot just sit in a cute Parisian cafe and have a glass of wine and, and talk this rubbish talk when it's small talk, you know, it's just my head is a mess and, you know, I need to be spending this time with the people that I've known for decades and, you know, so I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, just kind of doing whatever works for you, whether that is what works for somebody else or not, just do what works for you. And if you can't commit to, you know, having three coffees with three different people that day, don't do it. You know, do one coffee a week or one coffee a month if that's even too much, you know. Absolutely. Because, you know, especially if you, like you said, you're an introvert, we, we recharge more when we're with ourselves than with when we're mm-hmm. with other completely. people. Completely. So if you're not taking that time to recharge and check in and, and reflect and, and gather your thoughts, uh, it, could, it could definitely uh, overwhelm your system. Um, how old are you? Oh, that's a question. Are, are you in your 30s, <laughs> 20s, 50s? Yeah, I'm actually, I'll be, I'll be 30 this year. It's okay. my 30th birthday this year. All right, I was asking because I wonder, has the, has the bipolar 2, has that, uh, has it changed over your lifetime? Because there's so many hormones going through you as a teenager. And in middle mm-hmm. school, did it look different as a kid? Or were you even diagnosed with it then? Like, what was, no, what was the progression? Um, so, so looking at it retrospectively, I can see now in myself that I, I knew something wasn't quite right when I was very young, maybe like seven or eight. Um but I didn't say anything because I just thought that was, I thought it was normal. I thought everybody kind of had those feelings and, and did the strange things that I did. Um, and then as I got older into my teens, I really knew something was was definitely not quite right. But again, like you said, you're a teenager and, and, and you know, even through film, films and everything, you see these stroppy teenagers and, you know, oh, I want to kill myself and then throwing things and slamming doors. And you're just like, okay, maybe it's part of just being a hormonal teenager. Um and then as I got into my 20s and to my, my proper sort of adulthood, um, I definitely, I was very well aware that something was, was wrong, but I wasn't ready to, to admit it, not even to myself. Um, so I would have these full-blown episodes and would just be, you know, white-knuckling it the whole way and hiding it from absolutely everybody um, until it actually got to a point where I was really, I was not in a good place. Um, and I wasn't going to get out of it unless I spoke to somebody. So yeah, it's for me in actually being open about it and about properly, you know, taking care of myself and, and being honest with myself. It's all, it's all quite new. It's all really only happened in the last sort of three, four years, years. Um, but the more I talk about it and the, and the more I, I'm open about it with other people. I find it, it just, it's helped so much. It just takes all of this 
all this weight off my shoulders. And, um, you know, it was one of the reasons I decided to go freelance as well, because working in the office environment just was not conducive to healthy uh, mental health, you know. Um, for me, it just it didn't work. And I find myself constantly having to to lie to my employers and, and you know, because I couldn't get out of bed in the morning and I wasn't seeing anybody for it and I didn't have medication and and I it was just in complete denial. So I would just be I can't even I think whenever I whenever I left my last job working in the office, I don't in the last month, I don't think there was a single week I was in all day every day. Like that's how bad it was. It was every single week there was some lie made up to get myself out of it because I couldn't get out of bed. And that's just that's just not okay. That is not a way to live your life, you know. Yeah, when now when when you said it uh it really uh got out of hand and you weren't in a good place, what what did that what was the low of lows? Uh, you know, not besides not getting out of bed cuz I know a lot of people who struggle with bipolar, there's uh, drugs involved and alcohol. Uh, did you go down that path? Uh, no, it was it was just literally um, sitting on the end of my bed. And at this point, so my, my partner and I, we have um, a lot of the time, it's a long distance relationship because obviously we're working between two different countries. So at this point, I was completely on my own. Um, and yeah, it was just me sitting at the end of the bed and knowing that if I didn't do anything, I wasn't going to be here tomorrow. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was it. There was no, oh, but maybe I could do this or, oh, but maybe it'll get better. Or maybe I can just continue with, with this, this denial. It was, it was literally, I won't be here tomorrow if I don't do something. And um, thankfully, there was a, um, a psychiatrist that I could book online because I couldn't have picked the phone that just was not even an option I was able to make the appointment online for the next day which was super quick um of course I still had to wait until the next day but even just making that appointment and knowing that it was there really helped um and made me feel like <clears throat> yeah do you know what tomorrow tomorrow could exist again um and I even had to it was really far away from where I lived but I had to book a taxi because I knew that if I had to take public transport, I would have talked myself out of it. And then I would have been back to square one. Um, so yeah, for me, like that crunch time was really just, this is it. Tomorrow will not exist unless I do something about this. Wow. And a lot of times when, when people feel like that, they, it's, they don't take that kind of action, but but you had that foresight and that thought. Was there were there other things that were going through your mind that you were holding on to that made you want to see tomorrow? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I really attribute an awful lot of my um, progression with learning how to to live with this to my dog. Um, and I know that sounds really silly, but you know what? He didn't ask for any of this. And I was just thinking, like, I'm sitting here in this Paris apartment and my fiance is, you know, across the other side of the world. My parents are on a completely opposite side of the world in Ireland. Um, and if, to be honest, like if I throw myself off this balcony, there's no one here to look after my dog. And there's nobody that will love him as much as I love him because we are like, like you know people say oh yeah my oh, yeah my dog has separation anxiety no no i 
I have a separation anxiety from him. Like he's fine. I'm not, I need to be with him constantly. Um, but he was really just looking at his wee face and, and it sounds awful because, uh, you know, you want your, or whenever you talk to people about this, you know, it's hard to say it because you want your fiance to be that person for you or your parents or your friends. And you want to be able to look at them and say, you know what, like, no, they need me. But in my head, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, they might be devastated, but they'd get over it. Whereas I can't talk to my dog and tell him that I can't tell him why it's going to take, sorry, this is going very dark now. I can't tell him that it might take five days for people to find my body and he won't have lunch for five days, you know? And that's, that's the reality of it. I looked at his little face and I was just like, nobody can love you the way I love you. And, and that was a game changer. It really was. So many people right now have, uh, fostered and and uh, and adopted uh, pets during this quarantine, and I bet you a lot of them feel the way you do. It's if, especially if they're lonely and feel isolated. Uh, they're like, I, I I can't, you know, they feel like they can't live like this by themselves. Um, so they brought in a pet. Um, I always said I would get a parrot if I was to get a pet. I'm not a pet person, but uh, I would want something that that would that would outlive me. <laughs> that would want mm-hmm. like something yeah. that would be like two. You should get years. one of those like two hundred. Yeah, yeah. You should get one of those like two hundred fifty year old uh, tortoises or yeah, something, right? Yeah, yeah, like a giants, tortoise. Like, yeah, yeah, something that I, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want something with a short shelf life. You know what I mean? Like that's not <laughs> gonna be. Yeah, uh, yeah. And my my buddy, you know, he had a he had he had a dog. He's an older guy, and uh, the dog was sick and you know, on on the last leg and. So he decided to adopt another dog before his dog uh, passed away, which is smart because I think a lot of people wait until after their dog has passed to then get the next dog. But it's you, yeah, you're I think better that's off. harder sometimes to do that. Yeah, yeah, because you need a gap and you need time, and and maybe you don't make it to the next dog. It's better to get that that second pet. Um, so, what kind of dog do you have? What What's what's the name? We uh, we have a little Boston Terrier, um, and his name is an Irish name. It's Cucullin. So Cucullin was this like um, mythical uh, combatteur. Sorry, I can't actually remember the English word. Like um, a warrior kind of thing um, in Irish mythology. So it's like this big name for a little dog. Um, and actually, when we got him, it took us six months to realize that he's almost completely deaf. So we have this really close bond together. We do sign language together. Um, he literally comes everywhere with me. He's like glued to me and I'm glued to him. <laughs> and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. He comes with me on the flight to Houston from Paris. He comes to Ireland. He'll be at our wedding, walking down the aisle. The works. Oh, my God. I, I, lo- I love that. That's beautiful. And uh it makes me. I'm thinking like maybe I should get a dog, but you know what the problem is? We're we're in a house, but there's no yard, and that's the thing. I like I can't. I refuse to get a dog and not have a place for it to to roam around. It's uh, a yeah. It's a big commitment, especially when we're in Paris, and you know he has to go out three or four times a day, and you have to physically leave your apartment every single time. You know, like it's not as easy as you know if you live in a house with a yard, you just open the door and you can go outside. You know, um, it is a massive commitment. Um, but 
if you really felt like it would enrich your life, which it would, but you know, it's, it's not easy. Let's just say you want to be like fully committed if you're going to do it. (laughs) Was there, when, when, when you, uh, you know, going back to that day where, where you called the cab instead of taking public transportation, um, which, which right there already shows that at least, you know, your brain was thinking it wasn't the, the prefrontal wasn't cut off completely. Um, was mm-hmm. there something else or anything else that you were holding on to uh, besides the dog? Um, I mean, I know the answer I'm supposed to give. No, I mean, just be, real being answer, honest. Yeah, whatever the real answer is. Yeah. The real answer is no. I just knew that everybody else would be all right. They'd be sad. Like, I knew that. It wasn't like I was It wasn't like I was in a place where I was like, people would be better off without me. It wasn't really like that. It was more just, they'll be sad, but they'll get over it. And I just need the pain to stop. I just need, the, this. I can't go on like this. So, I've... And I'm quite a, I'm quite a logical thinker, you know, I do like to put things in boxes. So, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what is in front of me and all I can see are two boxes. It's either you're not going to be here tomorrow or you go and get help. There's, there's no other option here. These are your two options. So pick one. And I didn't want to not be there tomorrow. So I had to go for the other option, you know? Um, so you go see the psychiatrist and mm-hmm. talk us through that. Like, is he, uh, what, what questions is he asking you? What is he saying to you to help get you through? And uh, what the, what are the meds that he's putting you on? Um, so yes. So basically uh, because I was Paris, um, I had to go to, or I felt like I needed to go to somebody who would speak English. Like my French is very good, but you know, I'm in that state and I don't want to have to be fussing around trying to to speak a second language at that, at, the, at that point um so i had to go for one that was very far away and extremely expensive and i knew i couldn't afford him but you know what it had to be done um and i didn't even really know how i was going to pay him because i physically did not have the money um but i figured well once he's seen me what's he gonna do like <laughs> put the cuffs on me like i can't do anything like i have to see somebody and, and get this sorted um so yeah, I was in this, I was in the waiting room and they had this ridiculously depressing painting on the wall and I was just staring, staring at it and staring at it at it, and trying to, trying to figure out what I was going to say to him because I knew that he was going to ask me like, why are you here? Um, and I didn't know how to sum that up in one sentence. Like that's, that's just not possible. Um, and of course that's exactly what he did do. It came to my turn. My name was called. I went into the room and he asked me why I was there. Um, and I cried a lot and he passed me some tissues and he asked me again, why are you here? And I said, because I think I'm going to kill myself. And I had actually like, this is the kind of person that I am. I had actually typed up all the things that I was feeling because I knew that in this situation, I was not going to be able to tell him because the words just leave me. I just, I, they're all like in my throat and they're bubbling and they just, they want to all fall out. But my mouth is like sewn shut and I cannot talk about it. Um, so I had actually like print, printed out these A4 sheets of paper saying what I really wanted to say. 
in advance. So I gave them to him, passed them to him. And, uh, and he kind of just looked at them and put them to one side and was just like, nope, I need to hear it from you. Like now. And I was like, oh gosh, this is horrible. Like, why did I ever do this? Um, but eventually after about 45 minutes of more crying and trying to make words, um, I did explain to him how I was feeling and, and what I needed, um, what I thought I needed from him. Um, and he put me on some medication. Um, and actually it's the same medication I'm taking now. It's the same medication. Um, and although we've played around with doses and things, um, and different, different ways to take them and and how much, um, how often I have found that I, that I, I've been very lucky because I know so many people who have taken other kinds of medication and the side effects were were almost worse than than what they started with um but and they've had to you know go back and forth and you have to wait until it cuts out of your system before you try a new pill and and all this kind of stuff and I feel extremely lucky that the medication that he chose for me seems to just work for me um and yes we've had to play around with the dosages but aside from that I haven't really had to yet fingers crossed I haven't yet had to switch and try something else um there are definitely side effects um, in saying that. Like I take um, an antidepressant, which is Isitalopram, and um, a mood stabilizer, which is Lamictal, and um, an anti-anxiety pill sometimes, just whenever I feel like I need to take it, um, which is Spomazepam. And um, I've lost my train of thought, of course. Um Yes. Yeah. So I, I take, I take those three and yes, there are awful side effects. My nightmares are pretty much out of control. Um, I have these really crazy, lucid nightmare kind of things, um, that take almost all day to really properly shake off from me. Um, but I would take that any day over going back to where I was. Are the nightmares the only side effect? Because I would imagine if you're having nightmares, it's waking you up, and which is disrupting the sleep, which could, I would imagine, trigger more episodes. Um, for me, it's more about trying to get to sleep. Once I get to sleep, I'm fine. Um, but it takes me a good four or five hours to actually fall asleep. Um, once I'm asleep, I'm fine. I have about three or four nightmares in a row, and then I wake up. Um, so yes, I'm sleep deprived an awful lot of the time. Um, it encouraged waking as well, which I've always struggled with it anyway. It's not like I was a skinny stick to begin with. So that's really annoying, but you know what, at the end of the day, it keeps me alive. And I think that's, that's just the main thing to me. It would have to be a really, really severe side effect for me to even want to look into changing because to me, that just opens up a massive big can of worms. So I will take all of these awful side effects as long as they are not life-threatening. That's fine with me. Do you uh, Have you seen Homeland? Yes, I loved Homeland. It was okay. really good. So good. Uh, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't finished uh, the, the latest season yet, uh, but Carrie, the main no, character, me neither. Has, uh, she has yeah. bipolar, right? Um, yeah, and she went through like that shock treatment as well, didn't she? Yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, wait, yeah, you haven't gone through shock <laughs> treatment, right? Jeepers, no, 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 no. Thankfully, um, um, 
Do you? I don't have, even know. I don't even know how know how you would get to that point. To be honest, like I, I think I'd be dead before that would happen. I'd, yeah. Do you have a, a daily protocol in place? But besides the meds uh, and not listening to music, are there things that you do? daily to kind of help stabilize your mood where you like because like with carrie on homeland she's like she has to exercise every day uh take her meds uh i think she was on a certain diet or something like that do you have things daily or weekly that you you have to do to kind of um i need to just sort of have time to myself but again i feel like there's there's just so many like intrinsic links you know like i know that i need to spend spend an awful lot of time by myself self and doing my own things um even if that is just you know vegging out in front of the tv and watching something you know trashy that nobody else wants to watch with me um but then is that link to being an introvert is that i for me it's it's sometimes very hard to to compartmentalize those things because i just feel like they're so intrinsically linked um, like I said, like limiting my social interaction is a massive one for me. Um, I just, I just, yeah, I just try to do things that, that I know, I guess I safeguard myself an awful lot because there's probably, I don't push myself that much. Um, because I'm just so terrified of, of something happening. Um, and to be, to be plunged in the darkness, it's just, to me, it's just not even worth it. So I just, I try to have this nice big, cotton wool wall around myself um and you know sometimes people stick their fingers through it and you know i touch them and i'm like oh hello hello, okay no no get back get back back into the wall you know um but as far as like a a daily routine goes um the, the biggest one was mainly just changing my routine from being in the office to being at home i work from home every single day so this quarantine thing is not new to me i'm used to it Um, and I like it that way and it works for me. Um, and that was really the biggest, the biggest change in my daily life that I had to make. You know, that make cause for me, I I realized I can't work in an office also. I have such, uh, uh, one, I have like problem with authority. Um, but two, I, I find that it's so important for me to be able to, to manage my energy and, and who I'm interacting with and, um, those meetings. It's like if you have a, a corporate or office job, you have so many meetings that you have to go to and, and sitting in a room with it, it. Like those just, that's what drive the paperwork and the meetings. I was like, there's just no way I can, I can exist in this, uh, yeah. in this realm. And then, and not be getting paid extra Absolutely. money. I, I needed, I needed control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> For um, me, it was, it was more so just the fact that like, I don't know, I guess, I I don't really think I have a problem with authority, but I really hate not being, I really hate not being in control, which is really all what bipolar is about. It's about not being in control. Um, And I hate that. And um, if it's taught me anything, it's taught me that I'm actually a massive control freak. Um, And that's what I love about working from home is that, you know, if I am having a, a depressive day, provided I get my deadlines done, that's fine. Like I am in control of that. If I want, if I want to sit on the sofa and do nothing on a Tuesday, that's fine. I have the right to about it because I've got my work done and I'm not disappointing any clients. That's all it's taken care of during the times that I feel stable enough to take care of it. Do you know what I mean? What I mean? Absolutely. You know, I, 
you you reinforced why like I was like, oh, this is why I want to write a book so bad because uh, I read Einstein because he struggled with bipolar also and um, and and when they asked him about, it, he said, yeah, I just slept when I was depressed and I worked when I was manic. He's like, that's it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, I need to write a book so that when I'm having my depressive episodes, my manic, or I just feel like I'm I'm not safe to to leave my four walls, I can stay home and I don't have to interact with people. And you know, I can you know you can you can kind of quarantine yourself. But like when you yeah, if you have an office job, I think that's why you have like these you know some of these office shootings or these are people who should have stayed home but they couldn't afford it or, you know, <laughs> yeah. just, it is not, you know, there are no mental health days. That's what we need is a, is a day yeah. where you could just call in and be like, Hey, I'm feeling like uh, I'm at a nine right now. And uh, I think I'm going to stay home. And mm-hmm. you just can't, you can't say that. Nobody understands the thing that they can't see um, and, until it's too late. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. That's, yeah, that's the thing. You can't you can't just email your boss and say, yeah, do you know what? Like, yeah, I'm having a nine day. I need a mental health day. You can't say that. But you could say, oh, you know, um, I'm having a problem with my my diabetes, you know, and it's still it's still an illness. It's still something that you you have to take medication for. And yet that's a perfectly acceptable excuse to not come into work because you're dealing with an underlying illness, except when it comes to mental health. So then you have to lie about it and that lie yeah. gets bigger and bigger and, and then that eats you up inside and now you're feeling guilty and now, and then you have to go into work the next day and then everyone was like, oh, how was your headache? And you're like, mm, uh, yeah, it's feeling a bit better. Like it just, it just spirals out of control, you know? <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Cause then right? you feel like a fraud. And, and it's just these and, lies and, and top I, of lies. And you know what the worst yeah. lie is? is when people ask, how are you doing? And you have to put that smile on and be like, fine or good, or, you know, just, uh, I didn't sleep well last night. Like, you got to kind of sugarcoat it when really, like, I want to dump the world on you right now. Yeah. If you really want to (laughs) know. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. I've got a bucket load for you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as well, it felt like it was like, affecting my relationships with my coworkers as well, who I really liked. But then on a daily basis, I'm lying to these people. Like, this is not okay. You know, it's, yeah, it, it, to me, it was, it was just really, really detrimental to, to my mental health. And now at least if I'm not having a great day, I don't have to email myself. I'm the boss. I know I appreciate mental health. And I understand that when you need to take a mental health day, you take a mental health day. I don't have to tell her I have to go to the the embassy and sort something with my passport, you know, like <laughs> I do what I want to do when I want to do it. And as provided that I, you know, meet my deadlines, I can do that work whenever. And if that means that I'm having a manic episode at 4am and I'm working on a client's work at 4am, that's fine. That's fine with me. You know, uh, did you discuss, uh, have you, does, are your parents aware of all this? Like how, what was their response to it? Cause you're, you're Irish, right? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, um, I, you know, I, Irish and, and, and not to stereotype, but the drinkings I have a buddy who's Irish. Uh, I mean, what's their <laughs> take on, on, you know, the whole mental health thing? Like, how'd your family respond to, to all this? 
Um, well, so bipolar is actually um, hereditary. So my father has bipolar one disorder. Um, so in that respect, um, I probably should have seen it coming, to be honest. Uh, but but at least they they are aware of mental health issues. Um, and one of the reasons that I actually wrote the book, um, it wasn't to write a book at all. It was just as a as an exercise to to help me work through some issues. Um, and I just kept writing and writing and writing. And I was in a super manic uh, episode at that point when I first started writing and I just couldn't stop. And and then I thought, well, maybe I'll carry this on because I started to, to pepper it through with um, with raw diary entries. You know, as I was going through a depressive episode, I would I would write something down just to just to try and leave some sort of a paper trail and so that I could look back on it later on. Um and similarly, whenever I was in a manic episode, I would just write whatever I was, whatever I was thinking or feeling, feeling, and telling myself later, like I'm going to put this in, put this in the book somewhere, you know. Um, and then once it was finished, I was like, do you know what? Like, I think this is just too important, and and other people must be feeling the same way I am, and and so I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to publish it. Um, and actually, horribly to say, that was the first time I'd really spoken to my parents about it. But like I said, I'm not very good at talking about these things face to face. And I know that it doesn't come across the way I want it to come across. So for me, writing the book and letting them read that was the best and most succinct way that I could describe how I was actually feeling. Um, And yeah, I mean, they took it hard, definitely, because I didn't um, I didn't hold back. You know, I didn't think there was any point in writing it and writing it from a not honest point of view. So, yeah, they read it. They heard of me having mental health issues and it was rough going for them. I know it was. Um, But they've been super supportive and, oh, my goodness, like they're the best parents ever. Like they really are. They are so, so good to me. Um, and everybody around them as well, but, you know, particularly, and I'm an only child as well. So I, you know, I feel all this love just coming directly towards me. Um, and they're my rock. They, they really are. Uh, so tell us more about the book. What's the title of the book? What, what is the book? Uh, what's the book really about? Um, so it's called the bipolar fly effect. Um, um, yeah, like I said, it was it was really written in the beginning just as a as a form of therapeutic exercise. Um, so it's quite short. It's actually technically a novella, um, and you could you could easily read it in one sitting. Um, and it's it's funny in part parts, or at least I try to make it to make it funny in parts um, because I think humor heals. Um, and then it's extremely open and raw in other parts, particularly in the diary entries that I've that I've put through it. Um, but it kind of, it talks about what life was like, uh, before medication, um, and that kind of that journey into accepting that I did need medication. Um, it talks about, um, exactly what went on at the psychiatrist's office that first day. Um, it talks about, uh, the fact that I ended up firing the psychiatrist or well, in my head, I fired him, um, because he didn't take me seriously enough. And then, and that was a bit of a blow because I was like, hold on a minute. Like I'm paying you so much money that I don't have. And, you know, I've basically just told you that I'm 
not feeling any better. I'm still feeling suicidal. And he kind of, you know, looked around and was like, so you're feeling better then. And I, and I was like, okay, that's it. So that was done. So it, you know, it talks about that and how I kind of, um, battled with that blow coming to me. The fact that even my psychiatrist isn't actually listening to me, like that's, that's not okay. Um, it then, it, you know, it talks about the side dishes of bipolar disorder, you know, how you can come across as a flaky friend sometimes. And, and I'd be the first to criticize somebody who's a flaky friend, but I try to, to reel it back and to, and to just remember that you don't always know exactly what's going on in someone's life, um, in someone's life. Um, and maybe there's a reason that they're flaky or, you know, maybe there's a reason that they, you know, they say they're going to, they're going to do this really awesome thing with you. And then last minute they back out, you know, maybe they're struggling with something you don't know. Um, and then it, you know, it goes, it goes on to talk about all the different, different triggers that I have identified and, um, and what you can do to, to help somebody who has bipolar, like questions you should ask and questions you really shouldn't ask. Or like you said earlier, you know, the, the, the better questions to ask. When you say novella, how many pages are we talking? Um, I think it's about 60 pages. So like you could read it in maybe an hour straight. I love that, you know, because what you've done is basically like you're sharing your story and wait, is the book published already? Yeah, it's on Amazon. And so I I would imagine like this has probably brought you and your family so much closer and, and sharing your story. Oh, I mean, of course it had to be rougher in the beginning, but uh, so many people don't realize that it's not until we tell our complete story that yeah, it's, it's people are going to be shocked. They're going to be hurt, bothered, angry, or angered, or, um, or maybe even pleasant, you know, surprised or, or whatever. But, uh, but that's where the relationship grows. Uh, once we, we, cause you know, we grow up with people, and we think we know everything about them just because we grew up in the same household or neighborhood or went to the same school as them. And then uh, later we come to find out that so much more was going on uh, outside their life and inside uh, their mind. And, um, mm-hmm. and, 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 so, and But we don't tell people because we think we know exactly how they're going to respond and how they're going to take it. But people often surprise us and for the better. And we have to be willing to give people that opportunity to surprise us for the better uh, by sharing our story. So, uh, you know, I applaud you for having that courage to to not only share it with your parents, but then to write it and publish it for other people to uh, to learn from. Thank you so much. I mean, I always said that once I published it, like if I even just helped one person to not feel a little bit less alone, that was it. That's all I wanted. You know, it wasn't, I didn't write it as a moneymaker. I didn't write it as a bestseller. It was, it was a therapeutic exercise. And, and if it helps somebody else, then, then that's amazing to me, you know. At this point now, um, is there, is there something else that is getting you out of bed every day? I know we talked about the dog, uh, that, that saved your, you know, that, that the thinking of your dog saved your life. Is there something else that's getting you out of bed that's propelling you for it that's giving you hope? Um, these days, absolutely, yeah. Um, especially actually since we got engaged, I felt 
much better. I've noticed there's been like a a decline in how frequent my episodes are um, and how quickly I can pull myself myself out of them. Um, so I think having I think having the wedding to plan and knowing that that I, I really want this to go ahead. Do you know what I mean? Like I've put so much effort and energy into planning this wedding that it's it's my thing to look forward to. I am definitely imagining a massive big wedding blues once it's over and I have nothing else to plan. Maybe I'll just become a wedding planner and, and help other people plan their weddings. <laughs> and that'll be my crutch. But yeah, at the minute, like the wedding is is definitely a big crutch. Um and like you said, yeah, I'm I I've I've people have reached out to me in a way that I never expected. Um, especially since writing the book, you know, friends and, um, and my family, of course. Um, and I just feel like I'm so much closer to the people that I'm supposed to be close to, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't consider myself to have a massive friend base. I have instances and I have, and then I have close friends, you know, my inner circle is, is very small and I like it that way. Um, but I feel like I've, been brought even closer to my inner circle and that feels so good and I just try to 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 hold on to that feeling um and let that kind of propel me forward and just try to remind myself that um you know even if even if things do feel rough there are things there are things that I want to accomplish in life and that I'm actually not ready to go yet you know there are things that even especially with turning 30 this year um, one of the things I, I talked about on Instagram the other week was actually that I wrote a letter to myself on my 20th birthday that is for, that isn't to be opened until my 30th birthday, which is in July. Um, so I can't remember what I wrote in this letter. I know that it was, I know that it was poignant. I know that, um, I remember writing it and thinking, thinking remind yourself, yourself not to show this to anybody because it's going to be embarrassing and it's, it's very, you know, um, I was very honest with myself um, about what I wanted for myself and what I hope to achieve. Um, I don't know what way that's going to go. I'll let you know on July 2nd <laughs> whether I actually achieved all the things that I wrote about that I wanted to achieve. Um, but it's it's also a reminder that, um, you know, perhaps I haven't actually achieved all the things I want out of this life. So why on earth would I end it short? when there are things that I haven't accomplished, I haven't, I haven't put myself into, into the arena enough. And, and yeah, that's basically it. I haven't, I haven't not finished here. You know, the story's not finished. Semicolon. I, I, I love that. Uh, Kirsty Alexandra, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this episode. Thank you so much, Leo. Is there anything about, uh, bipolar two or from the book or something that we haven't talked about that you think uh, people should know that that would be of use to them that would help them get through uh, a dark period I would say um, say humor heals and that's that's really one of the reasons why I wrote the book in the style that I did um, because yes it is very honest and raw um, and in the moment. Um, but there's also bits of it that are quite funny and they're supposed to be funny, you know? So if you are reading it, don't like, don't think that I'm making light of it. 
but that is how that is one of my coping mechanisms and i would say take that use it run with it because humor really does heal um you know we've even seen that with the the coronavirus so many it's a really serious topic topic and you know people are dying but there are a lot of memes going around and and it's helping people you know to to see the lighter side of it um and i think that's really important so um yeah i mean if you're reading the book um that and you're reading it because you feel like you're in that position um or you're or you're wanting to read it because you want to help somebody in that position it's great for for both of those those sides you know um it doesn't really you don't have to be going through it yourself to to appreciate where i'm going with the book but if you but if and if you aren't and you're wanting to to help somebody else um it's also really good for that because it kind of shows you where they're at especially if they're not able to communicate that to you themselves yeah absolutely because we're all you know just at the base of it what we're talking about is some type of psychological pain um Mm -hmm. or just having a story that uh you know that you want to share and and at the very least it'll it'll help you like she said uh feel less alone in the world um knowing that you Mm -hmm. know somebody else has has gone through uh some mental health struggles and battles and 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 has found their way through or working their way through i should say it's a it's never uh um uh you, you never cross the finish line uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but to, but to hear somebody, uh, who's gone through it and, and working through it. Um, with that said, yeah. Kirsty, I always, uh, and I ask this of all my guests, um, I always feel like there's one person listening in who's on the precipice of ending their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to that person? It's not worth it. It's not worth it from all angles. It's not worth it. You're not going to feel any better. You're not going to feel anything. Everybody around you is going to be devastated and you're going to regret it. And you can't do anything about, you can't do anything about that. It's permanent. So don't do it. Just remember the story isn't finished yet. It's semicolon. It's not a full stop. You have things that you need to accomplish in this life. And not only that, but there are, there are people out there who need things from you and you don't even realize it. So if you can't do it, if you can't not do it for yourself, don't do it for somebody else because you have no idea what, what kind of an impact your life and the things that you do has on other people. And I think that's a really important thing to remember, you know, that, um, that we affect other people on a daily basis. Um, and that we don't even we don't even get to see the the repercussions of our actions to other people, but they're there, and we're making it. So if you can't not kill your kill yourself for yourself, do it for somebody else. And once you're able to do it for somebody else, you'll be able to do it for yourself. So powerful, Kirsty. Uh, thank you so much for those words, uh, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember this episode. This podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Kirsty got help. She's still here. She's, she's written a book. Uh, call the 1-800-SUICIDE number. Go to a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Uh, there are apps. There are online counselors and therapists. Uh, call a friend. Call an enemy. Call, talk to someone, um, and share your story. Um, 
Thank you all for leaving comments and, and rating it five stars on iTunes. And remember, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com if you want one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Uh, if you want to go from feeling like a, a burden to a blessing, from lonely to connected, uh, go to thrivewithleo.com and, uh, and, and let's, let's bring you hope and, and, and get you, uh, buy you some more time. All right. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Kirsty Alexandra. Kirsty, plug all your things. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find the bipolar fly effect on every Amazon. Just go to your local Amazon, whether that's .com or .co.uk or .fr uh, if you're in France. Um, and you'll find me, K Alexandra, on Instagram. KAlexandra.co.uk is my website. Um, I love to reach out. I love to chat to people. If you want to talk about fashion, you want to talk about mental health, that's no problem. Just uh, send me a message and we'll talk. Thank you so much, Leo. I've enjoyed every minute. Stay safe. Stay well. All right. Stay safe. Stay well. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon.